This month's Where Did the Road Go is brought to you by eight amazing people. Greg Ross, Illuminati, Allison Cook, Super Inframan, 36 Dingo, Michael Fritschke, Yvonne Williams, and Doug Malam. Thank you all so very much for helping make this show possible. Transmission start. Welcome to Where Did the Road Go? Join us as we wander off the path and explore lost history, consciousness, the paranormal, unexplained mysteries, alternative thought, and much more. We are present on the web at wheredidtheroadgo.com. Now here is your host, Soraya. Welcome to this edition of Where Did the Road Go? And this is part two of our Seth uh, slash Jane Roberts uh, conversation. And I have with me Mr. Matt Festa. Hello, my darlings. I have Christopher Ernst. Hey, everybody. And I have, mm, I'm dropping your name. It's totally okay. Jack Huntington. Jack Huntington. I had the Huntington part. I was thinking John. I'm like, John is wrong. It's all good. (laughs) In the first part, I had your last name wrong, but your first name right. I'm sorry about that. No problem at all. So Uh, both episodes together add up to getting it right once. Or completely wrong. There you go. Uh, But that's how my brain works, unfortunately. It does not like names. I can totally relate. So um, one of the things we've been doing is there's this paper called Problem of Seth's Origin. And we've been going through some of the the comments in here. And this was written, uh, as we now know, it's been rewritten a few times. Um, And where, where... where uh, where did you find the most recent one, Jack? It is a uh, problem. If you just Google the problem of Seth's origins, um, the uh, top result that shows up is, uh, yeah, rear.edu. And uh, I think that is the most recent copy. Okay. I'm not sure if I have the most recent one or not. I found it when <laughs> there it is and I downloaded it. And yeah, I didn't think to look for other iterations of it. Now, I didn't either. I, I was on uh, a website uh, speaking of Seth, and uh, which is actually a really good, really good website. Uh, a lot of uh, interesting information related to Seth, and um, that's where I found out that there were multiple versions floating around out there. Oh, okay. Um, all right. So this this was something I totally forgot about. Um, Jane produced three books from this inner psychic realm. The Afterdeath Journal of an American Philosopher that purportedly presents the psychical worldview and postmortem thoughts of William James. The World of Paul Cezanne, a psychic interpretation, and a worldview. Cezanne. Cezanne, okay. Of a uh, worldview of Rembrandt, in which she ostensibly comes in contact not with them personally, but with their understanding of the meaning of art, its greater implications and technique. Jane explains the library material that she received on William James in the following way. Uh, I explain the entire affair to myself as follows. The James reality still exists. It can be tuned into. Because we're the kind of creatures that we are, when this happens, the information comes alive through us, mixes with the contents of our minds, and interacts with them so that a new reality is formed, a new creative synthesis. Mm -hmm. In other words, when our kind of consciousness tunes into the still-present consciousness of someone like James, who is dead in our terms, the combination automatically clicks together, forming a real personality combining the separate 
set of traits, a viable transpersonality that stands for what we are and what the other reality is. The personality I sense as James is a construct, I believe, unconsciously formed as an automatic process when my consciousness tunes into his reality. And it stands for or represents whenever James's reality really is now. Uh, in Unknown Reality, um, they kind of elaborate on this. Um, and it, it it seems like they kind of recontextualize it as, as it's more uh, Jane tuning into the viewpoint of this person. Mm, okay. And that, that everybody can tune into, uh, like the viewpoint exists as a, as a, like a psychological structure, um, that you, you can psychically tune into. And, uh, James was tuned into this, <laughs> maybe created it and it persisted. And then Jane was able to tune into that same worldview. Um, if I'm, if I understood things correctly. Well, you know, it makes me wonder about the use of hypnosis for past lives and how so many people end up with, you know, famous people as past lives if this isn't what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really, that's a great point. I mean, because it seems, I mean, the, the, obviously, you know, you think you're Cleopatra, but some of these people have interesting information that's not so easy to dismiss. Like they might know something that wasn't really known about Cleopatra. And sure, it could be something like cryptomnesia, which is where you learn about something, but you forgot you even knew it, but somewhere in your subconscious, it's still floating around. But it could be that they're they're actually tuning into that person's energy and, and seeing their worldview and, and such, not that they actually were that person. Right. So again, Seth potentially explains something that... Um, Otherwise, you just kind of dismiss, really, in that case. Right. There's an, an multiple times where that happens, where it's, you know, you're, you're getting an explanation for something that isn't necessarily supposed to be, a, uh, you know, he's talking about coordination points, which completely overlaps with the paranormal concept of um, portals. You know, uh, portals. Right. And that just continuously happens throughout um, all the material. There's numerous uh, times where you're, He's sort of incidentally explaining something that completely explains a paranormal phenomenon. And as far as I know, the portal thing is, is I mean, you didn't really have that concept around in the 70s, did we? That seems like a more recent sort of uh, terminology yeah. and idea. It's, I mean, that kind of framing is relatively more recent. But like with a lot of the things that Seth talked about, you can find these same basic concepts iterated so many times throughout history, different cultures, different esoteric traditions, just couched in different terms. Mm, okay. Like, I mean, that's so like that kind of like, you know, the way we're describing it as like a portal or window area. Yeah, that's a very modern conceptualization of it. But at the same time, it's like not really all that different than like any other definition of like just a sacred space in general. <clears throat> right. That's fair. Okay. I guess I was thinking it more in the, in the modern paranormal sense than anything else. Um, Cause now it's such a big thing, you know, Skinwalker ranch and, and all these other areas um, that are portal areas where lots of weird stuff happens. And these could be coordination points in, in Seth's terminology. He also, if I remember right, mentions that there are certain events in history that are going to happen. Not so much that he was predicting many of them, but I think maybe those some of the ones he did predict were examples of stuff yet to come. But like there were certain, if I remember right, he said there were certain events that you can't avoid. 
Was it? Do you guys remember that? Um, it, uh, I, I think it was Seth. It was, it was also Doctor Who, but I think Seth talks about <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, the uh, the second or third coming of the Christ, uh, uh, as far as that goes, um, he seemed really uh, he seemed okay with predicting that because of the the framework that was. Um, he specifically mentions uh, something about uh, uh, like a, a, a framework in place that's extremely conducive to that happening. Okay. A uh, framework of uh, belief or uh, um, uh, just just the way every all the events have been set up. Um, but I'm not sure if there's a that rings a bell though. Um, yeah, it's been it's been like mm-hmm. I said, it's been years since I've read the books. I mean, they had such a profound effect on me uh, when I did read them, and a lot of it stuck with me and, and really affected my the way I see the universe. It it changed uh, for for like a month. I was on such a high uh, <laughs> after reading Seth speaks. Uh, it, it happened that happened right after my dad passed away, and mm. it was such a. Uh, I had I'd already had a kind of a belief system cobbled together that, uh, you know, uh, permitted uh, afterlife, uh, persistence of the soul and uh, everything like that. So it wasn't really uh, coming to the Seth, uh, Seth material and uh, getting reassurance from that. Um, uh, but but just having that, but actually having that reassurance from the Seth material because it resonated so strongly with uh, so much of what I kind of inwardly felt to be true, intuitively felt to be true, uh, it was just Im- immensely powerful for me. Um, and I, and it I, changed I, everything. I, I everything. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Finish. Oh, just just the way I view everything and considered everything, just on a daily basis. There would be numerous times throughout the day I would kind of uh, uh, transpose something that was happening in terms of the Seth material and. Uh, uh, just commonplace things you wouldn't even think about. And um, it, uh, uh, like, for example, um, the concept that, uh, you know, there, a lot of times we think of the the spirit world, uh, uh, the place we go to after death as being very separate from the material realm, but, you know, we're very much in it and uh, yeah. at all times. Yep. And uh, it interpenetrates material reality and, um, Absolutely. So, uh, that was uh, uh, one of the things that was like really changed the way I looked at everything just throughout my day. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, that's just one example. And it just kept kept uh, impacting everything and has since then. And, and I think that strengthened my sort of video game analogy of the oversoul is the person playing the video game. And, yeah. you know, you can have multiple characters in one game where you can jump back and forth playing different roles or whatever. And, you know, Seth talks about how you can learn stuff from past and future personalities and as, yes. as well as from probable, probable realities. So right. I, I feel like that's playing a video game. That's your oversoul playing a video game. Now, I had actual, this has actually been something that's been happening for me, which is a, a a facility with music that I never had before, that I started sort of playing around with, and I opened myself up to the idea that I could develop that more uh, via probable cells that are already doing that sort of thing. And 
exponentially my ability to do that just increased uh and it, it's been pretty dramatic like it like it's an ability that came out of nowhere i didn't have this before and I, i've sort of uh, uh delved into uh music a little bit and it never happened never clicked the way it did after um the seth material and and opening myself up to that idea that i could develop mm -hmm. any talent that i want um especially because probable cells have already developed it <laughs> mm -hmm. and of course that makes me think of the movie everything everywhere all at once right, right. i wonder if they had a little seth influence in there somewhere well, you it's, gotta it's really that. interesting how these ideas end up resonating. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, you know, or even the idea of the multiverse itself, you know, yeah. like how does that seep into pop culture? You know, is it because some comic book writer read Seth in the early seventies? You know, there yeah. was a lot of that going on. So well, this, you got to think about how these things become disseminated. I think there's some significance to it, at least. I think so. Mm -hmm. I also feel like the the last season of Lost was very Sethian, and it's one of the things that made me like it because they find themselves dead, but living, not realizing they're dead. So they're kind of going through that playthrough until they realize what's going on, which is kind of exactly what Seth talks about. You know, I know a lot of people hated that that ending, uh, but. <laughs> I uh, never actually watched Lost. I just watched the no, entire. No, I can see what you mean by that for sure. Wait, yeah. what did you what did you say, Matt? I said I never actually watched Lost. I just watched the entire internet complain about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's my experience of uh, the last uh, uh, couple of seasons. Uh, but now, yeah. now I want to now I want to watch it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be fair, I defended them on the last show. But to be fair, uh, they had a story written out and then ABC wanted them to add a couple seasons. Yep. So they had, a, they had to yeah. fluff things out. And then in the middle of fluffing things out, there was a writer's strike. Oh, that's right. Yeah. But they had the beginning and end set. And if you watch, if you rewatch it after you watch it once, they foreshadow the entire series in the first couple of episodes very clearly. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't do that without a plan. <laughs> So all right. the people who are like, oh, they made it up as they went along. Some of it they had to because they had to extend the story. Um, but they did have a plan from beginning to end, and that and you see that that sort of Seth influence in those in that last season where I'm just like, people aren't getting this because they don't understand what Seth is saying because they're not, they're not familiar with it. But that's what I'm seeing when I'm watching it. Yeah. What is uh? What's some other movies that have had really Sethian? seeming influence That's that you can think question. of or that you know of i don't know off the top of my head i can't really think of anything <clears throat> that doesn't mean a damn I, thing there was there was something i saw recently and i was telling my wife that like holy crap that sethian is that's about as sethian as you can get i don't know if it, it uh i'm looking through my movie list to find out it might have been um what's that movie that uh you and Red Pill talked about just recently. Uh, um, yes, that movie. Uh, hang on, I'm I'm looking through my movie list. It should be here. Uh, why is it not here? You, what is it? You can. You can no one will save it. you. No one will save it. you. That's, That's it. it. Is that not in my list? Hmm. I don't know if that was really Sethian. I don't know. If, I, yeah, I think I. I don't think that's the one I'm thinking of. Although. 
The one thing I never mentioned about that movie, both talking about it on Last Eggs and then Where Did the Road Go, is that kind of reminded me of watching a video game. Like there was some, something about the way they shot the scenes and stuff that felt like you were watching cut scenes from a video game. Yeah, I could see what you're talking about. Hmm. Depending um, on the game, that could either be super interesting or terrible. Well, it was interesting <laughs> right. in this case. Right. But I think at some point I forgot I wasn't playing a video game and I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. Huh? Yeah. I can't I think of what movie. of other movies at the moment that, that remind me of Seth material, but I'm, I know there have been some out there. Um, <clears throat> so what are the other quotes from this book or book from this uh, paper? Uh, the phenomenological, phenomenological elements that underline Jane Roberts lived experience of speaking for Seth and her understanding of the mediumship process as she experienced it during a Seth trance is clearly articulated in her own words on her own terms throughout the entire published public record. When Jane spoke for Seth, she reports experiencing it as an accelerated state characterized by the feeling of inexhaustible energy, emotional wholeness, and subjective freedom, in which Jane Roberts is aware of two streams of consciousness, Seth's and her own. Jane's inward experiences frequently parallel whatever information her Seth personality is orally transmitting, but without entering her normal waking consciousness or forming part of her short-term or long-term memory. Often Jane has no idea of what material would be dealt with in a session before it began. Jane describes the state of her awareness while speaking for Seth in the following way. I seemed to click out when Seth spoke. Yet a tremendous sense of energy rushed through me as he did so. I am seldom so blacked out as I am seldom so blacked out as to feel as if I was sleeping. Usually I know what is going on, although I may almost instantly forget what has happened. On occasion, Seth and I can take turns talking so that I can go in and out of trance in seconds. Sometimes it seems I merge with Seth, feeling his emotions and reactions completely rather than my own. In this case, the Jane self is far in the background, dozing but dimly conscious. Other times, though less seldom, I am in the foreground and Seth advises me as to what to say. My own conscious thoughts recede, along with my consciousness and my surroundings. There is nothing compulsive about this, however. At any time, it is possible for me to return to normal consciousness and no invasion is involved. Um, so, I mean, that's yeah. interesting for a number of reasons. It's. Uh, I mean, it definitely sounds like there's there's some shift of consciousness going on. It, none of this mm -hmm. is ever going to answer the question of whether or not Seth came from outside of uh, Jane or not. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the the other element there, uh, just real quickly, the is that Seth, uh, Jane, and Robert uh, are all supposed to be part of the same uh, soul structure. Yes, uh, which is supposed to. They form almost like a like a triptych that that um, helps bring the material into being. Like they all three had to be involved for this to happen. Yeah, that's right. Hmm. Um, what was I going to say here? Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I'd I, I'd like you know. It's almost like I want someone who has a dissociative disorder to read this description and say, "Is this what it feels like when you have dissociative disorder?" Um, mm -hmm. yeah. But usually, dissociative disorder, you don't have the control. Right. You know, yeah, so, yeah. something triggers off, you know, something and you switch personalities and the, and the core personality now has no control at all. If it's even aware <laughs> that something has been switched. Right. So this, this definitely sounds like trance states. 
Um, and that was the other thing. There's numerous times where she jumps in and out of being Seth. Um, and there's also times where they're doing ESP classes session classes or whatever, you know, and he will say flat out, Oh, Jane was reading this. And so I want to comment on it. Yeah. You know, there was no hiding that what she was actually looking at is what Seth is now talking about. Um, so again, there's that transparency, uh, where it seemed like, like they were trying to be as honest and straightforward as possible. There was no, no indication of fraud or trickery involved. Um, there were no like magic tricks. You know, like they didn't, right. they, they, they didn't do anything like table shaking or anything like that, that I remember. Um, right now it was just her talking, but also the fact that Seth had very detailed answers for people's questions right, right. off the bat. <clears throat> right. And those answers would be consistent with everything else Seth has been talking about. You know, it wouldn't be vague. That that was the other thing. Most channeling is very vague or they talk about things that are unverifiable you know, like you, you get even Edgar Casey's Atlantis stuff, you know, mm. like we have no way of knowing if any of that has any validity. Um, it yeah. seemed like the cures he came up with, you know, and readings for people seemed to be very valid. Mm-hmm. And we did indeed find a structure under the Sphinx's paws, even if, you know, the Egyptologists aren't unearthing it, or if they did, they're not telling us. Right. Um, because that was one of the things Robert Schock found out. You know, he he did the seis- yep. seismograph of the Sphinx and found that chamber under its paws and went, huh. And then someone said, you know, Edgar Casey predicted that. And he went, who's Edgar Casey? <laughs> I mean, Casey's work could be its own show. Yeah, that's true, too. I'm not as familiar with Casey because, again, a lot of it got kind of translated into a lot of uh, New Age sort of nonsense. And it's kind of... Mm-hmm you know, become part of the lore of Atlantis more than anything else. But Casey was very interesting. Casey's another one that seemed, like I said, like like there was some legitimacy there. He wasn't a con man. I feel that way about Casey. I mean, whatever was going on, I think there was some legitimacy in that, you know, either, you know, it was, uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so then, then let's, let's talk about Seth too. So this was was, hoping you were going to get to that. Yeah. Seth (laughs) too is a very weird concept. So I'll read what it says here in the paper. Speaking for Seth too, in addition to Seth, Jane channeled an entity that she termed the Seth two entity, which initially emerged on the 407th session on April 24th, 1968. Seth, too, places Seth in the same relationship to himself as Seth Seth stands in relation to Jane Roberts. Detailed material on the circumstances involving the personality Seth, too, is presented in the 406th to 412th sessions from April 12th, 1968 through May 27th, 1968. Uh, The difference between the Seth and Seth, too, personalities was made apparent to witnesses on several occasions, including the 419th Seth session um, and in an ESP class or ESP session on May 8, 28, 1968 and October 14, 1969. Jane Roberts' experience of communications with Seth too is phenomenologically, uh, phenomenologically different from her experience channeling information from Seth and included what she termed a pyramid effect. Uh, comparing the two trance state, Jane's observes, uh, when we have a usual Seth session, I sort of feel Seth take over, though I don't know what, I don't like that term. With the Seth 2 personality, I go somewhere out of myself and seem to make contact with it in some nowhere, leaving my body empty. I don't know how I get there, whatever it is, or how I get back. 
Yeah. Uh, go ahead. No, that, that, that was all I was, I was, so you, if you guys want to throw anything in there. Well, I was going to say, because like it didn't really address it in that passage there that like that also gets back to the idea of just the nonlinearity of time and all of this occurring at once. Because like if I'm remembering rightly, the way they described Seth to was with that relationship of Seth to, you know, being the Seth to Seth in like the same way that Seth was to Jane Roberts. Like at the same time, Seth too was Seth, but at a future state when he had attained like that higher level of development. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I do. I yeah, do I remember think so. That. Yeah, Seth too was. I think it says uh, as. Uh, let's see. Um, but in your terms, Seth too is far further divorced from my reality than I am from Rupert's. You can imagine Seth too is a future portion of me, if you prefer, and yet far more involved. And also, again, just to clarify, Rupert is the name Seth called Jane, which was a male incarnation in which I guess he knew her very well, if I remember Mm -hmm. right. That was that was the reason he called her Rupert or that her or that some part of her soul identified more with Rupert than Jane or something like that. Again, again, just to make everything more confusing, because like all the names are so similar. It's Jane Roberts, Robert Butts and Rupert. So Roberts, Robert and Rupert. Uh, let's see. Yeah, the Seth two thing. I mean, she said that, like, if I remember right, she said Seth two felt gigantic. Yeah, and also like just a completely different like manner of how it presented itself. Like it spoke in like a totally different mannerism. It was more like mm-hmm. robotic, but also like authoritative at the same time, and it was just like presented so completely differently to like the casual conversational way that Seth did. <clears throat> I think that was the same. Uh, I think that was the same part where uh, she's talking about uh, these super advanced entities that are pretty much divorced from physical reality, but they, they're still they still feel a great deal of affection towards us, mm. which I thought was really mm-hmm. interesting. They, yeah, uh, I think that the quote something like, uh, "But we still um, uh, we adore you, or we uh, you're precious to us," something like that. It's almost like there's, mm-hmm. a, there's a spiritual ecosystem out there. Right. Yeah. You, like some you kind know? of ecology of souls. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> oh. Somebody just wrote that. a book about that. What? Huh. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's see. What was the next thing I, I marked here? Um, if the worth of ideas are to be judged by tracing their origin, then what is the source of the Seth material? Or who or what is Seth? One way to begin answering this question is to let speak let Seth speak for himself on the matter. You may call me whatever you choose. I call myself Seth. It fits me. It fits the me of me, the personality more clearly approximating the whole self I am or I am trying to be. I have been conscious before your earth I have been conscious before your earth was formed. Uh, in your dreams you have been where I am. My communications come through Rupert's Seth's entity name for Jane Roberts, subconscious. But as a fish swims through water, as the fish is not the water, I am not Rupert's subconscious. Rupert assembles me or allows me to assemble myself in a way that will be recognizable to you. So that makes a lot of sense. It's also interesting, you know, and of course people tried to go around this, but Seth said he would never, you know, speak through anyone but Jane. And that wasn't to like corner the market on, on Seth material. It was because Seth was a combination of Jane and Seth. 
And so he would never. And I believe there. Ha- I think there have been people that have claimed it. claimed to be channeling Seth. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean. People have have come out yeah. and said, "Oh, I'm channeling <laughs> Seth," and it's like, okay. Yeah. I yeah. mean, maybe they're maybe they believe it, or maybe they're just trying to capitalize in on, uh, you know, the work that's already there. Because I don't think any yeah. of them have shown the the level of depth that the original Seth material does. No, no. And that's the no. thing. Most channeled stuff does not. Uh, and that's why, like, Jeff and Jeremy would dismiss all this stuff because they'd be like, sure, you get all this channeled information, but none of it means anything. Right. Just like you get from UFO entities and stuff like that. It's all, it ends up just not being anything of any real significance. But with it's, Seth. It's really had, interesting, too, that, uh, I'm sorry, go no, ahead. That's okay. I was just going to say it's different with Seth. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And, uh, uh, you know, along the lines of, uh, uh, Jeff and Jeremy uh, not really, uh, uh, you know, picking it up and uh, uh, re- looking into it. There, so many of the people that uh, I've tried to get interested in it in my personal life, um, it's like um, there's there's people uh, that you uh, that I know would love it if they gave it a shot. Um, but it, it just makes you wonder if it's just one of those things where you have to be at a certain point of open openness to it. Um, before something this profound is going to, um, before you're going to want to, want to delve into something this profound. Um, a a lot of the people that, uh, I've tried to interest, get interested in it. Um, they, you just can't get them to look at it. Yeah. Uh, and you don't want to be too pushy about it. Um, but at the same time you think, man, if they just gave it a shot. Right. Um, so this is the other thing. So the reason they won't give it a shot, obviously, is because it's channeled material. That's true. So if Jane were capable, I mean, like Jane could have taken the Seth material and put it out there under her name, you know, like never said where the source of it was, uh, and even if, okay, so it's 1972, she might not get much recognition as a woman, put it under Robert's name or make a, a male pseudonym um, so that, you know, she's taken more seriously. And I think people would have no issue with saying, wow, this is some pretty far out philosophy. It's really well, well put together. It's very consistent, et cetera, et cetera. It seems like the worst way to do this would be to say, oh, I'm channeling this entity. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like people accusing Streber of writing communion just to sell books. And it's like, yeah, that ruined him. And then he kept going. It's not, he could have disowned it, you know? She actually, mm-hmm. she actually mentioned that exact uh, scenario about her uh, presenting the material as her own instead of channel material. And she said something to the effect of it. It was it was as simple as it just wasn't um, uh, in keeping with the, the the nature of the material itself. The, uh, yeah. uh, it was just against her integrity, her personal integrity. Right. What I'm saying too, though, if she was capable of writing this stuff herself, yeah, she would have. You know, she wouldn't right. have. She wouldn't have invented Seth to get it through. That's true. Right. Yeah. Um, so the, the next note I, I made here was, uh, the challenge for psychology is to explain how Jane Roberts of Amalia in New York could suddenly possess and exhibit an ability to compose scientific, philosophic, psychological, and ethic material, ethical material of a very high order of sophistication and intellectual rigor with no previous study or instruction in sudden full-blown fashion with the same facility and power from start to finish. 
We have here a mass of writings consisting of a complex, discursive, internally consistent, and highly rational narratives, um, much of it produced in an animated, light trance state of consciousness with characteristic dissociation, amnesia, and excursus of the ego, in which nothing can be discovered regarding the history, education, or environment of Jane Roberts that suggests any solution to the problem of how she acquired such knowledge uh, or ability. And that's one of the things I didn't know. Like, I didn't know whether her background showed any of this stuff. I mean, there's definitely, like, there's a point where I think she's reading Jung and, uh, or Jung and um, Seth comments on, you know, like, so she either Seth drove her in those directions since she was, you know, playing with a Ouija board. So she was obviously interested in that type of stuff. But like, I wasn't sure if she had any formal education, if she was, you know, someone who was. Uh, able to you know I mean, to invent this stuff whole right. cloth like this is just would be astounding right it would yeah. be yeah. it would be almost as astounding maybe more astounding than if a uh, discarnate energy personality uh, presented this material via um, uh, medium <laughs> yeah yeah I mean is that would be incredible um the uh, other thing, though, is uh, kind of associated with that is um, she was a um, science fiction writer. Yes. Um, and she she was um, she was a pretty good science fiction writer. She was getting published in a magazine of uh, fantasy and science fiction alongside uh, some really notable talent uh, in that era. And she was uh, part of a, a writer's group. That uh, also included uh, Algis Boudreaux, uh, James Blish, Cyril mm. uh, Cornbluth, uh, some really, really good writers. Um, and uh, there's a on that speaking of Seth uh, website, uh, there's a uh, anecdote about how they got together uh, at uh, this convention in uh, I think it was like the night late 1950s, and Jane went into a trance in the hotel room um, and um, she started, uh, nobody has any notes or specific recollections about what she said, uh, but the the general information is that she started uh, making predictions about the future. Oh. And um, there was this like uh, vibe that took over the room and uh, one of the, uh, one of the guys there uh, started just kind of, uh, getting very emotional and uh, another guy started sobbing and and it was like this almost this like uh, transformative experience where after that they were all super close with each other for the rest of their lives huh i did not know that that's fascinating oh that's really fascinating yeah so um this means that that jane was basically channeling pri- i mean she we knew somewhere i read that she did did do self-initiated trance states, but that sounds like she was channeling Seth in a sense prior to um, prior to any of this stuff happening. And and that extat the the if that's true, the reaction too that some of the people had if they were going into having like ecstatic or intense emotional states too. That's I've heard of many similar uh, experiences. They're usually couched under like spiritual experiences um, right. uh, or mystical experiences. Yeah. But that sounds very similar. I, I really would be curious to know if there was any 
electrical disturbance that went on um, uh, around then, too. Mm. It also shows like how there's, you know, some things like Seth or Edgar casing that like they get framed kind of as if, you know, one day someone just flipped a cosmic switch and they had this ability, whereas it's more like a regular, you know, spiritual progression where it's this long, slow buildup and development of both just like internal and external factors and their own like emotional right. and psychic growth and everything. Yeah. yeah. And, and towards that, um, uh, there's actually some point in the material where Seth mentions that he's been working with Jane since she was a kid in her dreams oh, that's uh, right. to help her develop uh, these abilities uh, to, to, to be able to effectively, you know, form that, psychological bridge later on and uh and her other esp uh uh, talents that she displays the question i've always had is why is why is seth so consistent like when so many other what seem like probably genuine channelings are just nonsense are they just not picking picking up on the same thing are they not doing it as well uh, the things they're picking up on, not really all that helpful. Like, I don't know. Why is this such an outlier? Yeah. See, I, I guess I feel like it isn't. Well, I think it's an outlier in the sense of channeling, but I always sort of consider the way that I look at it is that, well, first I have to make the assumption that all of these experiences that people are having uh, that oh, right, they're no. calling mystical or religious or paranormal are all kind of connected. But, oh yeah, um, for for sure. I, I just mean yeah. in terms of uh, material that that's gotten published and you know has has become oh, a yeah. part. But yeah, no, I'm I'm sure there's all yeah. sorts of uh, phenomenon similar similar to that that people experience in their personal lives. Yeah, yeah. I think there's like, but I but I but I think I was going to say just that I think that there's a like a degree of uh, coherence that some yeah. people get. There's like a like some the medium of certain people and personalities is almost like it's a uh you know it is a the perfect medium or you know not perfect but there are different degrees of like yeah it's like some come through with a lot of noise some come through with right you know uh uh, less noise yeah it it could very well be the the explanation of uh their being so deeply connected with one another yeah and uh Maybe uh, helping to focus um, abilities or energy towards uh, the the expression of the material. Yeah. Go ahead, Matt. So I was going to say, I think it like only stands out in like because of two factors, one of which being just the framing of it, because we look at and discuss it and treat it as channeled material amongst which it does seem like an outlier. Whereas when you look at it compared to similar to a lot of what Chris is saying, like other ecstatic mystical traditions, like it's completely in line with that. We're like, you know, on a shelf next to, you know, um, Jay-Z Knight. Yeah, obviously it stands out as a huge exception, but, you know, putting it next to like, you know, Jacob Boehm or Dionysus Theory of Job area. Ah, words are hard, as Soraya says, but you know who I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's like completely in line with that kind of thing. And like the other factor is a lot of it has to do with just not the material itself, but the effect the conveyed meaning has on us. Like we treat it as this incredibly 
clear, coherent, eloquent thing because it has that resonance with us. Like it's yeah, not right. something yeah, you right. can pin down to the material itself. It's just like yeah. the same way you would connect with like a beautiful novel or a song or something like that. There's that inarticulate resonance it has with just that meaning within you. Mm. That is very true. There's also those aha yeah. moments where something he says saying, you go, oh my God, yeah. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like uh, great works of fiction that you're like, yes, that's exactly the way it is. Yeah. So uh, the next thing I had here, hang on a second, was something Jane said about Seth. Uh, she said, after carefully observing the Seth personality for over a year and judging on the basis of his qual- qualities of character, Jane concluded that Seth and his material was trustworthy. I used to watch Seth like a hawk, particularly during the first year or so. But he always behaved intelligently, with dignity and humor. As soon as I began to judge him by his actions and his effect on us, I dropped this habit. He has won my trust. He has given us an excellent psychologically sound advice, uh, excellent psychologically sound advice, but he has never tried to give us orders. And I think that's very important. Uh, also, a lot of times, you know, you see communications from spirits that are that will prove themselves and then kind of do the trickster thing. And at no point does Seth do that. Not only that, you know, it, there's a constant uh, reiteration of look for the truth within yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, transpersonal psychologist Arthur Hastings in 1991, an authority on channeling made the following observation about the qualities of character that Jane Roberts displayed as she faced the problem of understanding Seth's origins. And that's one of the things that I appreciated very much is that if this was happening to me, I would be reacting like Jane did. I'd be going, is this just another part of me? Like, what's happening here? Yeah. Um, Jane explored many possible explanations for the nature of Seth. She did not believe he was a secondary personality or part of the subconscious, nor did she want to refer to him as a spirit. She speculated that he might be a personification of the subconscious part of herself, a kind of psychological structure that enabled her to tune into revelational knowledge. She also allowed that he might have an independent existence as another entity. Her honesty in facing this puzzle indicates both integrity and intelligence. Um, It is highly improbable that fraud or trickery could have been perpetrated successfully over 21 years without some disclaimer occurring on part of many witnesses who have observed Jane speaking for Seth. Given the quality of the Seth material, there was so much to lose if fraud of any kind were involved. Why would a person throw upon another intelligence the credit for her own work? This is what we were talking about. Especially an entity that initially emerged from a Ouija board. Jane could easily have announced that these were her own writings. She would not not only get the praise, but she and her husband would also escape a great deal of social criticism and satire, prying eyes and questioning by the curious, and requests for help from others that comes with being a channel to this for Seth the Discarnate. Why didn't she? When our sessions first began, I thought of publishing the material as my own so that I could be accepted for its value, without introducing questions about the source. This did not seem just, however, because of the way the Seth material is produced is part of the message and reinforces it. Witnesses, experts, and Jane Roberts herself have provided comments in the published record limiting fraud as an explanation in this case. Physicist Norman Friedman, who studied the common elements among David Baum's physics, the perennial philosophy, 
and the Seth material concluded, if Seth is a deception by Roberts, it is a remarkable one, for it would require a grasp of science and philosophy that would be extremely unusual considering her background as a poet and novelist. On the other hand, if the Seth material originated at some unknown, uh, turn the page, uh, level of Robert's unconscious mind, then that level must be a repository of knowledge far beyond our normal awareness. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that was a couple of the things we were talking about kind of wrapped up right in that statement. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see something. No, that's very well said. Is this, is this all still from that same article you were talking about? Yeah, this is from the problem of Seth's origins. Because people, yeah. people have studied, you know, this material and have come back with positive responses. Um, yeah. And like I said, I was I mean, super critical of it when I read it. I was, like, looking for anything to kind of like, you know, wedge in a splinter of, no, this is nonsense. It was like, there's just nothing aside from like the Lumania thing and a little yep. bit of the, the Christianity kind of seeping in where I was like, mm, you know, it's not enough. It's not enough to dismiss this. Yeah. And I point out one of my criticisms. Yes. So, and again, this is like minor in terms of like how literally small it is. It's one tiny paragraph in the entire book of Seth Speaks. But stood stood out so dramatically, <clears throat> excuse me, just because of like how egregious it was that like I just had to like stop reading for a bit and like literally my <laughs> only note in the book is what the word I can't say on the air. <laughs> Cognitive dissonance. <laughs> when she's talking about, I can't remember what specifically, but one of the passages where she's going on about just Christianity in general or Christ in specific. And she mentions, actually, I think I have it highlighted. Let me find it really quickly. And I can't remember, was, was Jane Christian or was she an, I feel uh, she, she was, uh, early on, she was, she was raised, uh, uh, Christian. Okay. Uh, but yeah, then she veered away from it. Kind of went atheist, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Okay. I found it. All right. So like. Again, this is in a section where she's talking about Christianity and just how kind of elaborating how like she always uses Christ as an example, but like is speaking about like religious figures like that in general. Christ, I guess, being like what would be the most common and relatable one to the audience she's talking to. Right. And like she says this passage, which and again, I don't know if this is like some of her own like Jane's innate like cultural biases and stuff coming through in the reading, but it is like such a blatantly like, you know, white American Islamophobic thing to say. It's like for two sentences, she turned into <laughs> Bill Maher. <laughs> I, I know what you're going to, I know what you're going to say. All right, read it. So, okay. Uh, talking about Christ uh, as saying it's similar to Buddha. This should all, this also should be understood. Muhammadism, which kind of an archaic term for Islam, yeah. fell far short. In this case, the projections were of violence predominating. Love and kinship were secondary to what indeed amounted to a baptism and communion through violence and blood. And like, what the hell, lady? <laughs> mm. Well, that's in, in all of it. I mean, you get it in Judaism as well, so... Yeah, but like specifically pointing to Islam as a violent, barbaric religion is like such a, you know, stereotypically not exclusively yeah. American, but like such, you know, classic uh, Islamophobia. I, like, it, isn't she talking about, though, or isn't Seth talking about like the inception of the religion? Like the, I mean, not the parse, not the parse this uh, out in a way that makes it okay to, uh, 
I get what you're saying. Uh, yeah, there's a there's a part it. in it where, and I I don't remember if this is prior to it or, but she's saying basically basically saying that uh, that Mohammedism again, which is a term that is archaic, but I've come across it a lot. Uh, it was basically it was violent because Christianity was gentle, and saying that Christianity was not the or that was not that Mohammedism was. Uh, or that Islam was devoid of love, but that it was like that these were like uh, instances that were like balancing each other out. I don't know. I think believe that's in there somewhere. Ah, but at the same time, if we're trying yeah. to compare religions, body counts. Yes. <laughs> oh, we know it completely makes no sense. Yeah. And, but again, I, I mean, you're right. It absolutely. I think that that's, um, you know, it, it's, you know, it's worth looking at as being problematic. There is something, though, that I, I feel like maybe it's, again, not like it's not exactly what's being talked about. And I could be wrong, you know. Well, yeah. let's also keep it. And I mean, this can also be used as a, a helpful uh, escape if anything gets taken, uh, if anything becomes really wrong. But Seth yeah. not only said that, you know, this stuff is getting translated through Jane, but Seth also did not claim to have all the answers. Yeah. Seth said very specifically that he is not omniscient. He is not, you know, some god who can just answer any question. He just has access, better access to information than we do. Yeah. So, and again, you could say, well, th that's that's something she said just to make sure, you know, if anything gets egregiously, egregiously wrong, she has a, a, an out. But it, they never really use it, you know. Well, I think there are some times too where I mean, there, you know, I'd have to go back to see if there were, uh, you know, see what it was that, you know, specifically I, you know, disagreed with, there wasn't anything that was as inherently. So I guess Islamophobic as that, because again, if anybody does know, you know, what Islam actually in particularly for Sufism's about, you know, that mm -hmm. that's very wrong. Um, uh, but there's some stuff that, yeah, I, that I, that I, I think at least. I guess my point being, I do think that there is some Jane Roberts. Like, if we're thinking that Seth and Jane Roberts are sort of dividing them, I do think there is some things, some things that are being filtered through her, kind of in the same way that you know, I guess I react to the Lemuria thing. So, yeah. and this is giving her the benefit of the doubt, you know, uh, that maybe that. Islamophobia is part of, I don't know, part and parcel of somebody who's a human being living in America in the 60s and 70s, you know. Right, exactly. And that's seeping through. But, mm -hmm. yeah. Because, I mean, there's no a lot That's a good thing to point out, though, Matt. I'm glad you did, yeah. Because now, I mean, we've gotten rid of Islamophobia, so you don't have to worry about that Completely. Anymore. It's gone. Just yeah. like just like racism. It's right. gone. Yes. Amen. Mm -hmm. Solved. <laughs> Solved. All right. So the next thing here uh, talks about cryptonesia and uh, crypto cryptonesia. I don't know how to say that exactly. Huh. It's crypto and then mnesia. So it's like amnesia, but it's basically hidden memory that like you're exposed to something like you read a book and somewhere in your mind, you remember that entire book, but you can't recall it. You may not even remember reading the book. Um, but under certain circumstances, you might spit out that information and be like, I don't know why I know that. Um, the whole basis of the attempt to account of the attempt to account for Seth material on the basis of cryptonesia is the assumed ability of Jane Roberts to remember the most unerring act, unerring accuracy, vast quantities of material somehow acquired, but consciously forgotten. 
The task of assimilating subconsciously all of the knowledge expressed in the Seth material would require an extraordinarily rich and prolonged environment of exposure to such topics, which would have left traces discoverable in Jane's education and environment. Jane Roberts and those who knew her certainly would have known the fact, if in fact she had um, contact with a favoring environment, um, or if she possessed or exhibited such cryptomnesic skills, and they emphatically hmm. say no. Um, this comment, it doesn't say who it's from. Let me pull that up here. Uh, so this is under the theory of superconscious causation. Um, so high creativity, instabilities in the threshold of consciousness that may reflect personality disintegration in more mild and controlled forms or acknowledged characteristics of genius and creative inspiration. Um, F.W.H. Myers characterized genius as a power of utilizing a wider range of than other men can utilize of faculties in some degree innate in all. It is a power of appropriating the results of subliminal mentation to subvert, this is literally the wording here, to subvert the subliminal stream of thought. An inspiration of genius will be, in truth, a subliminal uprush, an emergence into the current of ideas which the man is consciously manipulating of other ideas which he has not consciously originated, but which have shaped themselves beyond his will in a profounder region of his being. Um, so it says, are, no, now I lost the page. Hang on. Uh, are we seeing in Jane Roberts the same kind of exaggeration of unconscious creativity activity? a hypertrophy of genius as Socrates had his Damon and uh, Joan of Arc, her voices. Does Jane Roberts have her Seth? Jane Roberts considers this a possibility when she states it may be that Seth personality is the psychological personification of that superconscious extension of my normal self. If so, how independent would he be? The question cannot be answered easily. Certainly, he wouldn't be present within my personality structure as I know it. I don't believe, for example, that his presence would be disclosed by any psychological testing of my own personality. The inherent relationship would snap into focus during a session, however, when the superconscious identity would take over. So again, this is more of Jane saying, yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe it's it's some part of me. Mm. And the last couple of notes I have here. Oh, actually, we got to take a break. So we will be right back. All right, quick mid-show break right here. If you want to contact the show, everything can be found at wheretotheroadgo.com. Everything from our email addresses to our snail mail to all our social networking and a link to become a Patreon. If you want to become a Patreon, it's only $3 a month and you get extra stuff with pretty much every show. In fact, uh, Patreon's got this whole two-part show together uh, last week, so they didn't have to wait a week. And you get the shows a week early on top of that. Also, if you become a $10 Patreon right now, you will get access to the uh, documentary, Magicians Long to See, which Christopher Ernst made about myself and Where Did the Road Go. That's available for free on there for $10 and up Patreons. And also, check out my music show if you like heavy music. We play a lot of stuff you're not going to hear anywhere else. Uh, we have live performances and a lot of uh, in-between movie reviews and stuff like that when we talk. So, uh, yeah, you can check that out at The Last Exit for the Lost, which is thelastexit.org. All right, my recommendation for this week 
is an older podcast. This thing came out in 2017. And, uh, well, it started in 2016, ended in 2017. It's only uh, 12 parts, 12 parts. And it's called, um, well, no, I guess it's not 12 parts. It's uh, 12 parts, then a two-part finale, yeah, which ended in 2018. But the whole thing's up now. Uh, David Devereaux did it. It's called Tin Can. And it's it's sort of a short little project of a guy stranded in space. It's way better than I had any expectation it would be. Uh, I haven't listened to it in a while, but uh, it was it was exceptionally good and well done, especially being that it's mostly one character. So uh, yeah, it's it's definitely worth checking out. Tin Can by David Devereaux, and uh, yeah, that's my recommendation. So let's go back to talking about Seth. So I am here with Christopher Ernst, Jack Huntington, correct? Yep. Yes, and Matt Festa still here. Also known as the nameless one. On occasion. Somebody has a birth certificate with no name on it. How many names have I gone through on the last exit? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know anymore. <laughs> I mean, we hear a fun word and we name it. That becomes your name for the night. Right. <laughs> so we're, we're talking about the Seth material. I'm going to read the last few uh, things I highlighted on this problem with Seth's origin paper here. Um, what's this one about? This one is about functioning. Okay, given the known characteristics of how telepathy app operates in laboratory and field settings, telepathy from the living does not appear to play a role in supplying the content of the Seth material. Uh, Myers observed, all our evidence has tended to show that the telepathic power itself is a variable thing, that it shows itself in flashes, for the most part spontaneously, and seldom persists through a series of deliberate ex- experiments. This variability definitely shows itself in James Robert. This variability definitely shows itself in James Roberts' performance on the eighty-four telepathic envelope tests and the seventy-six in-stream clairvoyant tests between nineteen sixty-five and nineteen sixty-seven. Jane's performance in producing the Seth material over its twenty-one year history, however, does not reflect this uncertain kind of ability. For here we have a mass of dictated material that could have laid aside that could be laid aside sometimes for weeks and even months at a time and then resumed without difficulty or review, with no period of fumbling and no reduction in the average quality, never with a contradiction or inconsistency, never out of character, rarely with revision, and in final form with even the punctuation in- indicated. So yeah. though that's a very good point. Um, yeah, it's interesting, you know, if the, if the side tests weren't, weren't working, then she's obviously not a master of psychic abilities, um, or, and neither is Seth, which I think comes down to something, you know, with us. Um, and this is the thing I just said, uh, Seth himself never claimed omniscience. And in fact said there are aspects of multidimensional reality that are unknown even to him. Mm-hmm. The last one I, I uh, yeah. quoted here is. The published record of Jane Roberts' transpossession mediumship should suggest that fraud and cryptonesia are highly improbable explanations. The duration of the phenomena, the intelligibility and rationality of its content, and the phenomenolo- phenomenological processes underlining Jane Roberts' communication with Seth all argue against the hypothesis that Seth is a production of an incipient schizophrenia or incipient sch- and dissociative identity disorder. To emphasize and expect fraud and trickery, cryptonesia, or psychopathology in cases of mediumship is to raise what is essentially a misleading, though culturally expectable, 
response to an uncanny encounter. Hypnotic self-suggestion may account for the production of the Seth trance, but, by, but would not by itself account for the content of the Seth material. High creativity and psi functioning provide possible explanations for the quality of uh, the content of Seth's communications, but do not satisfactorily, satisfactorily account for all aspects of the phenomena considered in toto. A more adequate account would have to include Jane Roberts' understanding and judgment of her own experience and Seth's explanation of himself. So yeah, basically the paper says, you know, it's, it is yeah. what it is. It's not a fraud. Yeah. It, it's not something that we can easily understand. Yeah. I think after all, after all of this, we can just safely conclude that Seth was a demon and also Bigfoot. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know, Clearly. The, 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 well, he may have been, he may have been sort of a daemon. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, like I said, when I first started looking at debunking Seth, the only things I was really finding were fundamental Christians saying that Seth was a demon that killed Jane Roberts. And I guess there was yeah. someone on Coast to Coast at one point that a friend of mine had heard an article. She didn't know anything about Seth, but she had heard someone, some guest on Coast to Coast going on about that very thing, how Seth was a demon, it killed Jane Roberts. And I was like, how did it kill Jane Roberts? And I mean, there's really nothing to back that up. I, they probably mean that, like, they caused the sickness she had. Yeah, the rheumatoid arthritis. Right, yeah. Which I think ran in her family, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. That's well, how powerful a lot of a demon he was. He killed the whole family. <laughs> <laughs> and the whole time she's in the hospital, he's telling her what to do to, to deal with this so she can get better, and she just couldn't do it. Yeah. Right. Like I said, that book, the the way toward health, which is the last one they did. I mean, it's it's a little bit heartbreaking to 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 read, but the quality of the Seth material is there. Yep. You know, so she's she's in a ton of pain. She's not doing well, but when she's channeling Seth, it's still Seth. Yep. Matt, yeah, you have tried to help her right up to the end. Yeah. Uh, Matt, did you have any other notes that you wanted to mention? I think we've touched on pretty much everything, at least all the major stuff. I was trying to, at one point, flip through to find like some of the passages of Seth II speaking, just to like point out how like drastically different alien a presentation that is. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Seth also, I think, I think he refers to God as all that is, mm -hmm. if I remember yeah. right. Yeah. And so Did, wasn't he all, didn't he also, I'm just, what didn't he also say like he gave, he gave a specific name for himself in ancient Rome, didn't he? At I, one believe point? So. I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Like whoever he incarnated yeah. as. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and like none of his incarnations were anything special, which again is highly unlike all these other channeled entities. Right. So, you know, the, he was never anyone famous. And when, you know, they asked him about his past lives, he's like, oh yeah, I did this. I did this. It was never really anything yeah. you would have, you know, be significant. And again, that also gets away from seeming fraudulent. So like there, there, there are asterisks there here and there, but I think the overall quality of the work argues against this being, you know, anything but what it seems to be, whether or not yeah. it's accurate is a whole other question. But so far, there's nothing in the way Seth presents this system that goes against what we know. If anything, our science is going in the direction of what Seth is saying. Oh, quantum physics for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we hear more and more about multiverses and um, 
Uh, the other thing I was gonna gonna mention too, uh, which I've just lost. The way brain. consciousness interacts with reality on a subatomic level. Yeah. Well, and and the idea of multiverses, which they initially you know uh, ridiculed, and now they're like, oh yeah, multiverses. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Now, now every every scientist out there is like, "Well, yeah, we got to discover the multiverse." Mm-hmm. Um, oh, here's another thing. Sorry to yeah. butt in suddenly. That, like, again, to put in the pile of things that are like at the same time, sort of like very specific predictions of things, but also like have never really been verified in any way, at least to my knowledge. When talking about like some of the ancient. Uh, text now like the dead sea scrolls i think in specific she mentions she actually draws out this set of like five different symbols that were put into them to like connote whether like this is a direct transmission of knowledge whether this is like something coded that would like be shown to authorities to like keep things secret and like all these different layers of meaning and like i've followed a bunch of different biblical scholars it's just something i'm interested in and like I've never seen anything reference a symbol that even like remotely looks like what she's describing. Hmm. Well, I mean, they're just fragments too. Physical matter. What was that? Oh, I didn't sorry. say anything. No, Jack said something. Uh, reading something, I started reading out loud. Oh, okay. uh, sorry about that. Because <laughs> right. um, if I'm not mistaken, though, we just have fragments of the Dead Sea Scrolls, don't we? I mean, there's still like, it's not like we have, you know, one or two scraps of papyrus here and there. We have like a large body of text from like many, many mm-hmm. centuries of like the course of these things being composed and like. I've never not only seen those symbols, but like heard any scholar make reference to a use of like something like that. And like it also is like so counterintuitive that you would like have various iterations of a document to keep whatever knowledge or things you're trying to hide hidden. But like then put a symbol on it that dictates, you know, okay, here's the fake one. Yeah. Well, it's like it's <laughs> like uh, people who make crop circles signing them. They do do that. Uh, when Andrew Collins went and uh, investigated, they found that yeah, the circle makers will leave their mark on uh, on the circles. So to say who made them. If I made a crop circle, I wouldn't do that. I'd just put like a little trademark logo onto it. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, maybe that's wrong information. Maybe he was wrong about that. Maybe it happened in a different reality. That, I mean, this that's the thing. It leaves you open to these different possibilities that we don't know if are actually a thing. Um, mm-hmm. I did want to go back to the all, all that is thing, though, because he talks about all that is, you know, like not just being our universe, but us just being a small portion of that. Like everything mm-hmm. we know. Small. What was that? Extremely small. Yes. Yeah. And that's, you know, we, we kind of have this, you know, like most things, a very centric idea of, you know, there's this, this is our universe. This is all there is. When in reality, we're like the little finger of, of all that is, but we're still a part of the whole thing. Right. Yep. So, and it's, and of course that's, that's a concept we can't put our, like infinity, we can't really put our, our brains around. We think of it in a, in a physical space too. Because that's how right. we perceive things. Like, oh, God is just really big, you know? <laughs> uh, another interesting aspect uh, kind of ties into that is uh, uh, at one point he says that we're all incipient gods in our creative, yeah. uh, ultimate creative potential that will eventually yeah. create our own universes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, creation and art in general is so emphasized in this stuff. 
And of course it is coming, it is coming from two artists, but art is a very powerful thing. And how many things are inspired from, from like where we don't even know where the inspiration comes from. It comes in a dream or it just suddenly appears in our head and then we, we turn it into something. Yep. So, but you know, he talks about creation and, and, and about this world mattering. That's the other thing. And you talked right. earlier about Maya, Chris, about, you know, how like, this is just mm-hmm. an illusion, et cetera, et cetera. But you know, sets like, yes, this, this, you're creating this world, but this world matters. What you do here matters. Yeah. 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 And that really is something that you find, you know, when you dig deep into some of those ideas about what Maya really is, is that it's not that like, you know, this is a meaningless illusion that, I mean, that might exist in some sort of like grander scale. If you want to talk about like, you know, all that is versus a little bit, but again, it's a, it's a matter of like scale and focus. And I think that, the way that it's described here is much more akin to what the, you know, what you would get, you know, from, uh, you know, Adi Shankara or somebody who was like, you know, one of these deep, um, uh, philosophers who sort of was able to reinvent the, the, the spiritual nature of, uh, Hinduism and Vedanta. Yeah. I, I think it's totally, it's it's very interesting that this is you know was coming out of somebody uh, like Jane uh, in the sixties and seventies. There's one part, and I don't remember exactly how it went, but they they ask a question like they were having they were getting sick or something from some of the food they ate, and says like that's because you're keeping your food in the bathroom. Like <laughs> that's just dumb. Don't do that. <laughs> And that's the thing. Seth would be very critical of Jane and and Robert. It wasn't like he was, you know, oh, these people are perfect. Be like them. He would, you know, a lot of the the stuff he was talking about would be using them as examples. Like, oh, they did this and this is the reason they did this. And they didn't understand it at the time. But now, you know, now I can sit here and point it out and it'll make more sense to them. You're talking about uh, the food being in the bathroom. It reminds me of... uh, when he's talking about um, orientation of things in the house, uh, like where she should put her writing desk, mm. where they should, the orientation they should have their their bed, I think, in their in their bedroom. Yeah, yeah. Um, in conjunction with uh, like uh, coordination points or su- subordinate coordination points and uh, the flow of energy, which kind of uh, reminded me a whole lot of um, uh, what is it, feng shui? Yeah. Feng Shui, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. That coordination points thing, I mean, to go back to it, there's some point in it too, and I was looking for it earlier, but I couldn't find it, uh, where he's essentially talking about the coordination points. And I think he uses the example of like here in your United States, he's like somewhere on the East Coast, Utah, California. uh, You know, there are points where you will see faster and more intense materialization. And I remember when I saw that there's, I think my note is like, are these, you know, uh, flap areas, right? Yeah. Like, are these yeah, UFO they, flap areas. They, I bet you anything there's correlation there. Uh, like, right. uh, the one in Utah, I wouldn't be surprised a bit if it had to do with, uh, the Uinta basin and yeah, uh, yeah. all that right. weirdness that, that happens in association with that. Yeah. Well, that's something that even Jeff Kripal has talked about, how like specifically up around near Sarai, like the Hudson Bay area, how yeah. there is yeah. all these different, you know, 
UFO flaps and everything up there, but it's also like from his field of study called like the burned over district because they are there so often with all these different like little cults and religious movements that like constantly yeah. occur in the same region. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and of course, you yeah, know, Mormonism, the mm-hmm. uh, Lilydale, you know, spiritualism. Yeah, it's a ton up there. Yeah. Yeah. When you look at uh, again, you know, you look at look at uh, her being a sci-fi author, and I'm sure there are people who are like, oh well, she wrote sci-fi. Of course, she came up with this stuff. Um, obviously, it's more invested, I think, than any sci-fi universe in in the way it's been put together. But also, you know, that was a that's something that's leveled at Streber. You know, like, well, he he writes horror books, so big big shock. He had an alien, you know, abduction book. Yeah, mm-hmm. easy. Like, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sorry. Go no, ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, I mean, whenever people say that, the other thing that you got to think about is, you know, on the flip side, hasn't it always been? sort of a trope that artists are more sensitive, like we were saying before, to, you know, psychic phenomena or to the supernatural. I mean, at one point, that really was the case when you're talking about, like, you know, Byron and some of those romantics and stuff like that. That was a big part of it. And, you know, the, the idea that maybe, I don't know, Jane Roberts or Whitley Streeper because of their, the fact that they have these imaginations that are highly developed and that they're, you know, that was expressed in science fiction writing that made them better mediums for, uh, whatever this is. Creativity and, uh, Mm -hmm. intuition and, uh, consciousness and, uh, all those things tie in very closely together. Um, Yeah. I think one thing is is very conducive to the other. Yeah. So yeah. those kind of strong correlations uh, make total sense. Uh, and of course, Jeff Ritzman will always point out that artists and stuff were prime candidates for this type of stuff. Um, and how a lot of them had kind of liminal lives. Um, I don't know if if Jane and Robert count as having liminal lives. I never really thought about it. <clears throat> But yeah, uh, I'm not sure about that. It sounds like she had kind of a difficult life. I mean, you know, health problems, and it didn't sound like, you know, uh, from a little bit that I think I've read about the, the bios that it was um, like her relationship with her mother was pretty strained. Um, mm. It didn't sound like they, it was the best life, but I could be wrong. And uh, of course, uh, Kenneth Ring talks about encounter prone personalities, and one of those things is. Yeah. Uh, imagination having the ability to be very creative and imaginative um yeah i think that ties deeply into the uh your inner self and um that totally opens you up to uh these sorts of experiences yeah Uh, well i'm glad someone did this paper um because it's something that i've literally been looking for since i read seth the first time um (laughs) and i i would say overall I sus- I think that I I personally think that this was legitimate. I don't have any doubt that she was not a fraud or hoaxing it in any way. Uh, if she was, they were doing a terrible job at it because they made no money, other than the book sales. Mm. Um, they didn't exploit it. Um, they stayed humble and down to earth right to the end. And <laughs> I mean, as far as the the material itself, it definitely has an impact. And not, it's hard for something to do that to me. Yeah. So this is, it's not like, oh, every other book I read, I feel like, oh my God, my world has changed. It's like, not, not like this. This really changed the way I view reality. And even if it's not correct, there's useful stuff in there 
Uh, it's kind of yeah. like Castaneda's stuff. You know, we know Castaneda probably faked most of his material, but he faked it by doing research on shamanism and stuff. So he put real techniques in there, even though the experiences he talk, he's talking about might have been fictional. Those techniques work. Mm, yeah. So, but where do you guys stand on it, on, on the same um, material? How do, how do you view it? What's your final like word on this for now? Absolutely valid and legitimate. That's, that's where I fall. <laughs> okay. Chris? Oh, yeah. No, I was waiting to see if anybody else wanted to go. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that you know this is one of the few um uh uh she's one of the people that i think stands out i think that there are a few of them from like the you know the past century that really you know uh um they they prompt some further looking into and i think that she is one of the people there definitely in terms of channeling i think that she and edgar casey are the only two people that i think are compelling enough to, you know, for, you know, continue studying and looking into. And if that means, you know, I, by that, I guess, I mean, I say, I mean to say that it's real. I don't know if anything's necessarily real, but I think that she authentically was, I do, I don't believe she was making this up. Um, I believe this was, you know, whatever was the cause of it was authentically coming through her without any sort of, you know, um, uh, uh, fictional, uh, uh, creation on her part. And I think that it's definitely worthwhile to look at it for people. And it's a great entry point, I think, to a lot of ideas that for me, at least I think end up coming up again and again, as some sort of perennial philosophy. Uh, and, and of course, anyone who listens to the show will occasionally hear me, you know, like invariably be like, yeah, so Seth said this, because <laughs> because it's relevant to whatever subject we're talking about, and it makes perfect sense that Seth said whatever thing he said in relation to what we're talking about. And I feel like a broken record sometime, but it's like, but it's true. He, you know, yep. like it totally fits. What about you, Matt? Yeah. yeah, I'm really in line with a lot of what Chris and Jack both said. And like, on the one hand, when you're looking at from just the paranormal psychical side of things she is right up there with casey and the tiny handful of others that are not only like very worthy of study just in the veracity of what they're saying but also in the volume of work that we have there's a huge library of what seth left behind just like what casey left behind but if on the completely other side of things it's like just as valid as like just a philosophy text, like completely regardless of whatever the origin may have been, whether psychic from Jane, from another entity, just her making it up off the top of her head. It's like worth looking into regardless of what angle you're coming at it from, despite its very obvious flaws, many of which we've already gotten into tonight yeah. and in the previous uh, episode. And I would, mm -hmm. I would add that uh, you can put the, 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 uh, the practice elements uh, to use in your life and you can see results from them. Yes. Um, uh, I've had some uh, really interesting things happen uh, as a direct result of, uh, you know, trying to practically employ uh, some of the material. And it not only does that help reinforce the validity for me uh, in, a, in a really tangible way, but um, prior to that, there was, uh, I've been a, a very introverted, intuitive sort of person my whole life. Uh, I've got a background in, as an artist also, and 
uh, creative artist, uh, drawn mostly from my imagination. And, uh, um, so it, it resonates, uh, extremely, uh, uh, powerfully on a, on a deeply intuitive level for me. Um, and it, a lot of beliefs I came to through mostly intuition and, uh, 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 just that in, inner feeling that this is legitimate uh, prior to the material, uh, the material is uh, aligned with like perfectly. And uh, so there's a, there's a lot to it on a personal level that I think if people open themselves up to it uh, on a personal level and try to, you know, get the ego a little bit more out of the way and uh, kind of uh, let their inner intuitive self um, uh, vibe with the material uh, that, um, you can, you can really benefit from that. Yeah. It's not new thought. It's not, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the secret. Um, it is, it is yeah. a much deeper, uh, much even, deeper. huh? Yeah. It, it's much it, deeper. It, it, even though you can see some resonance with those things, they kind of just skim the surface to tell people what they want to hear without mm -hmm. giving them the depth and clarity that Seth manages to do. So I, yeah. I'm not saying that, you know, some of that intention stuff doesn't work because it does, but, you know, Seth not only explains to you when it, you know, why, why it works, um, <laughs> but how it's not always going to work like you think it is mm -hmm. and yeah. all the reasons behind it. Yep. So, all right. Uh, people can find Chris where, uh, you can go to brightrectangle.com or you can go here. All right. And, uh, Matt. You can find me on the cover of the upcoming Where Did the Road Go book. <laughs> Outside of that, I'm occasionally on the last exit for The Lost. If you're looking for my art, it's all under Tiamat's Garden on Facebook and Instagram and Blue Sky. I post art about once a year when I actually have time to make something. You have quite a bit of stuff on Instagram, though. It's accumulated over the years. Yeah. Lately, though, just because of life circumstances, I don't get to make work as anywhere near as much as I would prefer to. Well, soon people will see the cover you did for the book, and uh, it's fantastic. And Jack, yeah. you, you said you just uh, lurk on Patreon. I, <laughs> yeah, as far as this stuff goes, I'm uh, where did the road go? Patreon forum, and uh, uh, as far as art stuff goes, I, I do actually have an Instagram uh, ah. account uh, under a, a, a different uh, name, which is uh, Cykeen, which is spelled C Y Y K E E N, and uh, there's some uh, digital art up there. Um, uh, not much, but uh, in the future, there'll be more. Awesome. All right. Well, I thank the three of you for having this complicated conversation with me. Uh, it's been thank great. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Great to talk with all you guys. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I want to take a moment here to thank all of my Patreons. Without you, this show would not be possible. And I want to give a special shout out to those of you pledging $10 or more. Greg Ross, Illuminati, Chuck Shutters, Leanne Cherry, Matt in Delaware. Allison Cook, Super Inframan, Stephen St. George, 36 Dingo, Tim, Andrew Nichols, Matthew Sproul, Midnight Review presents Christine, a blue second-gen MR2 drifting around a Japanese mountain, Patricia Gaiaquinta, Alex Whitcomb, American Rambler, Andrew Maines, Andrew Malone, Ann Witowski, Barbara Fisher, Beverly Williamson, Big Boy Limina, Bright Rectangle, Charles Davis, Charles in Florida, Land of the Crazy and Communicable, CJ, Greg Parmenter, Diane B, Empty K, Eric Citron, Eric Todd, History and Coffee, Jay, Jay Otto Bullet, Jack Huntington, James Lindsay, Jim and Sophie, John Mattingly, John Bracken, 
Carla Mahoney, Kevin, Kevin Shrek, Cool Kitty, Kristen L., Laser Printer Jam, Lauren McLean, Linda, Linz Jackson K., MJ Armstrong, Mark Brady, Mr. Weird, Oli Andre Olar, Paul Jeffries, Perry Peters, Philosopher of Mirrors, Riker and Stark, Ron Dupre, Sam Sharon, Schmooples, Devourer of Mortal Souls, Stacy Sherwood, Stevie Norman, Strange Stories with the Seeker and Skeptic Podcast, Tactical Therapist, Taylor Bell, The Esoteric Book Club Podcast, Thunderboy, Tyler Glimstead, Veroche K, Victoria Elant, Vincent Trewell, Will Gebhard, Will Powell, Ren Collier, Annabelle Smith, Caroline Walker, and TDT Skunk Works. Thank you all so very, very much. I hate talking about upcoming things on this show because it seems to jinx them. Um, but uh, what we have planned right now for the rest of the month, uh, we have a show uh, where we do a year-end roundup for 2023. Um, we have the 11th anniversary show, which, uh, yeah, should be Joshua Cutchin and Timothy Renner uh, on there with me, because I like to pick people who are meaningful to the show for the anniversary shows. And then following that, hopefully, will be the next edition of UFO History. And there's there's other stuff mixed in there, too, which I'm sure I think there's another week in there uh, somewhere. I don't know. Time's confusing. Anyway, there's no Patreon segment for the Seth stuff, but there is a Patreon segment uh, for... Uh, that, that we recorded separately with uh, Chris and Super, Sa- uh, Super Saxon Man. There we go. And uh, that'll be up for patrons. If you want to become a patron, please, it helps out immensely. It's only $3 a month. You get stuff all month long. And, uh, yeah, special treats now and again. All right, I'm going to take you out with the living room. This is a band from Rochester. They kind of remind me of, like, a cross between, like, the Tea Party and Mazzy Star and uh, a bunch of other stuff. They're not a metal band at all. But they're pretty damn cool. And they did play our studio over the summer back in like July. So if you like this, you can go watch their live performance uh, at thelastexit.org on the YouTube performance channel. This comes off their album Small Dark Things. They came out this year, or last year in 2023. This is pretty good for a failure. And I'll see you next time.
been listening to where did the road go this show is made possible in part from our patreons and we thank you and everyone listening for helping us continue this exploration of the strange you can always find everything where did the road go related at www.wheredidtheroadgo.com and thank you so much for your support <laughs>